build a city, but to rebuild the people in that place and in that space. And what you realize is a part of doing that work, as we've learned before, is doing the work and persevering in the work, simply not giving up in the work that you do. And we learned this a little bit in the sermon, When Opposition Comes, but this one really seeks to explain just how resilient we have to be as believers in order to do the work of the Lord, but also knowing that as we do the work of the Lord, that we should expect the veracity of the attacks of the enemy to increase against us. And just as I said before, most of those attacks are just to distract us from doing the work that the Lord has called us to do and to destroy our motivation to do the work the Lord has called us to do. And I think this is one of those, if we would all be honest, the biggest thing that we struggle with as Christians and just as people is not that we have a hard time actually doing the work. It is that we have a hard time continuing in the work when the work gets hard. Everybody can have a bright idea. Everybody can start a business. Everybody can take that leap of faith. But what you often learn about God is when we take a leap of faith, it's a life of leaping. You will continue to leap and believe and trust in God. And that's where the consistency, that's where the strength that you need to have, that resilience to persevere over the difficult times, over the enemy, really has to come in. You've got to have that stick-to-it-ness. And many of us don't have that unwavering commitment to the work. That unrelenting tenacity that says, for God I live, for God I'll die, and I will do this work until he completes and performs it. And unfortunately for many of us, when things get hard, we are in a world that encourages people to quit. Marriage gets hard and doesn't make you happy anymore, you quit. Job gets hard and doesn't make you happy anymore. You quit. But what we've got to be as believers is not counter cultural, but other cultural to say things will get hard. Things will get difficult. But how can we set up that standard of expectation that says even when things get hard, even when things get difficult, I trust that this is what the Lord has called me to do. And I'm not going to give up. We'll stick it out. And not stick it out in the sense where I'm just surviving. I'm like a war-torn ship. But where I'm surviving, thriving, and flourishing where God has placed me. This is continuing where we left off last Sunday when we said if you remember, the last point was that real leaders persevere. And I said, we don't persevere because we kill our enemy or our foe is defeated. We persevere by keeping our integrity to the end. We persevere by living for Christ to the end. By never compromising, by never capitulating. And so as Christians, we must as well persevere. Persevere. 
So how do we do that? That's what we're going to learn today. In three points, I'm going to explain how we persevere in the faith. As you know, the title of the message is, Don't Stop for Anything. Whatever it is, whatever comes against you, don't stop for anything. Our first point is um, rather crash, rather um, straightforward. It is don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. And I know that is a rather brash point, but I want you to think about what's going on here, specifically with Nehemiah. Not only had he been working extremely hard to complete this work that the Lord had called him to do, but he was also working hard to make sure that the work that he was doing was actually good work, all right? Sometimes we can be so committed to the work, so committed to getting it done, that we're not taking the time to make sure that the details are done and that the work that we're doing is actually good work. But Nehemiah was doing good work, and clearly his enemies had been watching him work. And they realized this is a quality job that he's doing. It's one thing if your enemy doesn't want you to do the work that you're doing, but you're doing a terrible job at it. They'll stand back, sip their tea, and admire your terrible work. There's no need for them to intervene. But when the work that you've been called to do by God marries with your desire to do a work that is pleasing to God, the enemy erupts. Because good quality work that is dedicated to the Lord is a threat to his territory. And when they realized that Nehemiah was doing good work, they realized that they had to do something to stop that work. Here's a good sub point. The enemy doesn't attack you if you're not doing good work. There's no point. Some people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I don't feel like the enemy bothers me at all. I imagine he probably is. But when you are doing good quality work, when you continue to show up, when you are consistent, when you continue to treat people well, when you don't treat them the way that they treat you, when you are diligent to know that this is a service not unto myself, not unto you, but unto the Lord, that is good quality work, and it threatens the enemy. That's the only work that threatens Satan. It's good work. There is no reason if we are half working, half committed, that Satan will ever see us as a threat. And so, don't be stupid. If you know that you're doing good quality work, then you also have to know that there will be an attack that is coming. Not everyone who contacts you or reaches out to you or who promises you support is intending to do so. Even if they don't intend to destroy you, they might just want to ride your coattails to the success that God has called you to. Because y'all, I don't know if you know this, but people know good stuff when they see it. They know gifted people when they see them. They know people with integrity, when they see them, people with quality character, when they see them. And there is a tendency, well, if I can just ride along with you, even though I don't have the character, even though I don't have the relationship with God, if I can make myself appear to be a friend, my advice to you from the text is don't be stupid. Look at what our text says. 
He says, come and let us meet together in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, Nehemiah says. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Y'all, Nehemiah is aware more than likely by this time that they have been talking smack. They've been bad talking him and he may have taken some time and once he received word about what they wanted him to do, he probably considered it. Nehemiah, I know we were enemies in the past, but why don't you come meet with us so we can work these things out? We probably want to come alongside you and support you. I bet Nehemiah considered that maybe they did have a change of heart. Maybe something had changed. Maybe the Lord did get a hold of them. And I think that's, as we read the Bible, that's what we always have to be cautious about. These things appear to be happening immediately, but there's counsel happening. There are conversations that are happening. There are people who are talking, and we don't get to see every single decision and every single detail and interaction. So it's important that we can't just assume what happened, but we can rely on the Bible to know how this conversation probably went. And I can imagine Nehemiah is up working, dedicating himself to the Lord, knowing that he has a field of enemies who are there to stop the work. And he probably got this letter from Sanballat and Tobiah asking him to come meet with them. But remember what we learned in Psalms. Remember what we learned in Proverbs. It says that the good wise man surrounds himself with good counsel. The good diligent man does not take counsel from the wicked. And so maybe he did consider taking counsel from them. But I guarantee you what more than likely happened is once he had gotten word that they wanted to meet, they wanted to take counsel with him. Nehemiah took counsel with the people he could trust. That's so why the Bible says safety there is in the multitude of godly counselors. Yeah, you may feel like the Lord called you to be a great leader and called you to this work. You are not above taking counsel from others. Because it is in their wisdom that you will be protected. So it's probably that he did consider going down, but he probably listened to the people around him. So when, when I say don't be stupid, that doesn't, just mean, that doesn't mean just assume that if people had bad intentions in the past, they still have bad intentions now. If we misunderstood each other in the past, we're going to misunderstand each other now. That's not what I mean. What it means is, in situations that require discernment, don't assume you are spiritually strong enough to discern that on your own. Surround yourself with people who have been where you need to go. Who have seen what you're looking at. Who need to do, who have done what you need to do. That's a mistake that we often make as believers. 
thinking that we've been called to leadership, thinking that we've been called to power, and thinking that God has called me to, to rule unilaterally. He hasn't. Because every single one of us, whether we lead a house, whether we lead on our job, we have been created with a core set of strengths and a core set of weaknesses. And the only way we would do whatever the Lord calls us to do is that I will glorify him in the places that I'm strong. And I rely on him in the places that I'm weak. Don't be stupid. If you're doing good work and if God has given you good counsel, listen. Listen to them. You want to know if you have good counsel or not? Because this is a question. How do I know if my counsel is telling me right or wrong? Do you always like what they tell you? No, I hate it sometimes. Good counsel. Good counsel tells you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And you realize, if I listen to good counsel, if I'm telling you to persevere, if I'm telling you not to stop, if I listen to good counsel like Nehemiah did, then I won't even have to come down. Recently, I was trying to fix a problem with one of our showers because somebody in the house complained that it was leaking. Not saying who it was, nor am I looking at that person. And, you know, I have created a bit of a reputation in my home that I can do stuff that I ain't really never done before. Like put up light fixtures or work very dangerously with electricity. And so my sweet wife said, I'm sick of this leak in my shower and you ain't really doing nothing about it. And of course, y'all know I'm at home. So it's like, what are my excuses? I was like, all right, well, I YouTube it. That's always what I say. I YouTube it. It's a quick fix, 30-minute fix. YouTube, go to Lowe's, come back. I'm, I mean, I'm talking 15 minutes. I'm fixing it. I told her, look, you ain't never had no shower work like this. Like, it's fixed. La-dee-da. She coming out. Water everywhere. And I was like, this was not doing this when you went in here. It's you. So I was like, all right, obviously I did something wrong. So I YouTube again. I was like, all right, grab the keys. She said, where are you going? I'm going back to Lowe's. I'm at Lowe's the second time. Come back. I said, don't worry, Chris. I figured it out for real this time. I'm at Lowe's. She's like, well, there's water pouring through the floor in the garage. I'm like, don't worry. I know exactly why I was doing it. I got all the control. Meanwhile, no control. So I'm trying to figure out, go back, fix it again. Water at this point is shooting out of the wall like it has high blood pressure. And I can't figure out what the problem is. And I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. I called my dad. And this is at the point where I started to realize this problem might be bigger than me. And it was at the time that I called him, and he's looking at it. He's like, yeah, I think that whole valve needs to be replaced. This was three days in. What should have taken me 30 minutes... This is an ongoing problem, by the way. It is not fixed yet. 
has taken me two weeks. Because if I had just gone to sound counsel to begin with, this whole problem would be resolved. And that is my advice to you. There are times where you're going to feel confident that you can do the work. You are going to feel like you know exactly how it needs to be done. Always go to counsel. Even when the vision seems clear, go to counsel. Even when it seems like it is within your ability, take counsel. Because what you do is you realize, because I have partialities, because I have bias, I may not see this as clearly as I need to see it. And in my efforts to glorify God, I may do a disservice to him because I'm not leaning on the people that he has placed around me. The only way we are effectively able to work is if we have surrounded ourselves with counsel. People who compensate us in the areas that we are weak. People who can pick up where we left off. And who can tell you, don't waste your time on that. We have work to do. And y'all, I believe that the reason many people stop is not because they're quitters, but it's because they fail to either surround themselves with good counsel or they just didn't listen. And since we are looking at all the avenues of what Sam Ballard and Tobiah may have wanted, allow me to broach this. What if the harm they wanted to cause Nehemiah wasn't physical? He says they sought to harm him. But what if it wasn't physical? What if we consider this? What if Sam Ballard and Tobiah wanted to make a deal with Nehemiah? Look, Nehemiah, come off that wall, boy. Stop doing that work. Do you know we've got money? We've got power. We've got notoriety. We've got women. We've got everything that you would need. Just stop doing that work. We'll make a deal with you. If you come down, we'll give you everything that you need. We'll make you a rich man if you just stop doing this. Do you know how many people sold out to do what would give them money at the cost of their morals? Do you want to know why so many artists can start off so strong and making good, powerful music that has good lyrics and is rich and is beautiful, and then they turn into something that you don't even recognize? because of the power of the almighty dollar, the ability to compromise has stopped many people who were on their way to doing great things for God, but they compromise. What does it profit a man if in his pursuits to do what he does for the Lord, he gains the entirety of the world, but he loses his soul? What would that same man give in exchange for his soul? What are the little compromises that we make 
in our homes, on our jobs, in our friendships, in our relationships, just so people won't talk about me a certain way. Just so I can stay here and be gainfully employed. What kind of compromises are we making? That is what quitting looks like. See, you think quitting is walking away. Quitting is doing it when you know the Lord hadn't called you to do that. That's what quitting is. And I'm telling anybody in this room who is willing to listen, don't be stupid. Don't stop the work. Do not come down off the wall. Don't take the deal. Don't compromise. Don't capitulate. Whatever you saw, call it out for truth. You do what God has told you to do, and you believe that God will see you through till the end. I don't care if other people are finding success doing it the wrong way. You do it the way the Lord has called you to do it. With honesty and integrity and faith. And I like to wrap up this first point. I love what Nehemiah says. It's what people would call arrogant, but it's not arrogant. He knows the value of the work that he's doing. Say no mealy mouth somebody doing some work. He says, I can't come down because what I'm doing is great. This is a great work before the Lord and for the Lord. Why would I waste my time coming down there to you when what the Lord has called me to is great? He knows the value of his work. He knows that there is greatness in what he's doing. And I realize that many of us quit because we don't see the value. We don't know that there is greatness in what we're doing, even if it is not seen by man. You must believe it is known by God. That is greatness. Most people don't see you wash the dishes. Most people don't see you sweep the floor. Most people don't see how you treat your spouse or you treat your children. And that may seem minuscule, but if the Lord sees it, that is a great work and it is unto God. Do you know that the majority of great people were great long before they ever knew it? And so it doesn't matter whether it's 15 or 15,000, greatness is not a matter of who sees me. Greatness is a matter of obedience to the will of God. That is greatness. Second point, don't take the bait. First one, don't be stupid. Second point, don't take the bait. Says, it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking 
Their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands is what Nehemiah says. I don't go fishing as much as I used to when I was in college. I had a friend, <coughs> Justin Johnson, and we used to go fishing on his lake a lot. Um, but I love to fish. I actually do love fishing. I know you can't imagine that, but I enjoy it. It's very peaceful. It's a peaceful art. And I think of it as a game, Adrian, while you laughing, Jordan. I see you laughing, too. Um, I think of it as more of a game when, when I'm fishing because, you know, the idea is I'm trying to catch a fish. But my thing is always about using the right bait. And you, you really got to figure that out. It's, 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 uh, it's an art to it. It's, it's a craftiness to it. And what you realize if you've ever been fishing is everybody has a particular way they fish, a particular bait that they use, and they will tell you you have to do this or you have to do, use that or do it this way or do it this way. But the one thing I've learned in all the times that I've gone fishing, it does not matter how many times I've gone, for whatever reason, I do better with live bait, with live worms. I just, whenever I put the worm on the little fake ones, it's like the fish know. Like, boy, we know that ain't no real worm. So I'm better at using real worms. And I figured out why. I am terrible at making a fake worm look real. That's where I was messing up. Because they tell you, you got to do it a certain type of way. And I'm trying to make this fish not know this ain't a real worm. And that fish know because I don't know what to do. What I learned about myself is I need to do as little as possible. If I take a real worm, I don't have to make it look real. The only thing I have to do is hide the hook. All I have to do is hide the hook. And the reason that is significant and in line with this point is because there are going to be many occasions, there are going to be many times in our desire to do what the Lord has called us to do where people are going to wave bait in front of us. And I'm not saying it looks real. I'm going to say it is real. But what you have to know is that inside of that bait, it's not a fact that the opportunity is real. There's a hook. There's something there waiting to hook you and snatch you and pull you out of the safety and the protection of God into places that you don't really want to go. It's not that the opportunity is not real, but it comes with strings that are attached to it. Nehemiah has the wisdom. He knows they want him to come down and take counsel and give him an opportunity, maybe compromise, and he can see the bait, but he knows, y'all, there, there's a hook. They're spreading rumors and lies about him. They say, do you know that the people are saying that you're going to come be a king over Judah? And they were the ones who were saying it. He doesn't need to come down off the wall to defend himself. Because he knows what's true. It's one of those old, old sayings my grandmother used to say. Don't chase a lie. He knows the truth about the work that God has called him to do, so he doesn't need to come down and defend himself. They even offer him, why don't we come down and take counsel together? 
And as many times I've heard this passage taught, preached, people always make it appear as if Sambala and Tobiah are this obvious enemy. But when you read these letters a little bit more, they always make it appear as if they're coming for peace. Hey, they're lying on you. Come down and meet with us. They said you want to be a king. Come down and meet with us. Just come take good counsel with us. We'll tell you what direction you are to go. And it reaffirms something that we learn in the Bible. We always think that we are going to recognize and identify the enemy so clearly because he's going to come to us with the word enemy stamped on his forehead and he will not. The most dangerous enemy that you have is the enemy you don't know. How does the Bible say that Satan presents himself? Not as an angel of darkness. He is an angel of darkness. He presents himself as an angel of light. He shows up as someone who appears to be doing you well, who says they have good intentions, who want to take good counsel with you, who mean well with you. All the while, everything that they've offered you has a hook. Don't take the bait. And that's the consistent message we have in Scripture. Now you want to know, well, who might be an enemy in my life? Because you thought, okay, this enemy will be engulfed in flames. I'll be able to clearly identify it, but that ain't what Scripture said. The reality is this. And I think we have to think about how the Bible talks about who Satan is, and we have to redefine who and what Satan is. He's not this red horned devil engulfed in flames plotting against you, when in reality, Satan is anybody in your life that is going against the will of God. And by the way, that can be you. What's my proof? In Scripture, Peter gives this amazing revelation. Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? Some say you are Elijah. Some say you are Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He says, well, who do you say that I am? Peter, all big, bad, and bold. I get so sick of Peter because I'm, I'm Peter, and I get so sick of him because I want to be Paul. He goes, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, ah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. And Jesus goes on to say, but by the way, that person you just identified, he's going to die on the cross for your sins. And what does Peter say? Peter says, no, you're not. You are not going to die. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Whenever we come against the will of God, no matter how good our intentions may be, we are being used by Satan. And the reason that is important for us to understand, just like we see in the book of John, when the Pharisees say, Abraham is our father, 
And Jesus says, but you're doing the work of your true father, which is Satan. What you learn is any time we get in the way of the work and the will of God, that is satanic. It can be your friend. It can be a spouse. It can be a coworker. It can be someone who means you well, who even for a moment, Peter's last a moment. But don't take the bait. Because even if that person has encouraged you and told you right, if in one moment they say something that is contrary to the will of God, then they are being used by Satan. Sometimes Satan gives us real practical advice. Don't do that. Why would you do that? You've got a family to take care of. You've got too much to support. Don't you know you need to make money? Don't you know you need a job? Don't you know you need to have a good reputation? Don't you know you just need to be quiet and don't say anything? Anytime that the person who may mean you well offers you a bait, just look for the hook. The Bible reminds us that we are blessed when we are taking counsel, not from the wicked, but from the righteous. So that offer for advice from people who are telling you what to do that goes against God's will, don't take it. Don't come off the wall. But I also want you to note this. Nehemiah doesn't cower. He doesn't bow. He doesn't give in. He says in response to them, while never leaving the word, you are lying. He tells them the truth, but he did not stop working. Final point, quick point, and we're done. Number three, don't deny what the Lord shows you. Practically, this might be the most difficult point, and I want to explain why. Y- I mean, y'all know what Maya said, when someone shows you who, you who they are, believe them. But we don't talk about how disheartening it is. As Christians, the Lord in his grace to us has given us a spirit of discernment, which means we can see beyond the outside. I can see beyond the good words that a person may say and use. And you can tell, and you don't quite know how to put your finger on it, but it's something that the Lord, in his grace, like something's not right. And I don't know what it is all the time. I can't identify. But what I've also learned is because I want to expect the best out of people, the Lord has often revealed things about people's character, about their nature that have been clearly perceived and seen. And you know what I said? Lord, that ain't you. Lord, that ain't true. Here I am being a skeptic again. Here I am being pessimistic again. When all the while the Lord was trying to show me this person is trying to distract you from doing what I've called you to do. We love talking about 
We walk by faith and not by sight. But sometimes what faith reveals ain't pretty. And it means that people I thought, people we thought, were going to come with us and be with us and support us and when doing the work with us. And the Lord shows us the truth. You have to trust the Lord over your own feelings. You have to trust the faith over your own sight. Do you trust yourself and your judgment above what the Lord reveals to you? Our eyes, y'all, are too carnal for us to clearly see the truth. And we cannot rely on what we see to always show us the way and know the path. If we continue to rely on ourselves, we will leave incomplete project after incomplete project because we are always trying to do the work of faith while relying on our flesh. And we will be deceived and we will be delusional. But when you know what God has shown you, and you see wrong intentions, call it out as it is. If you believe that God is behind you, I don't care what the cost may be, you have to trust that he is supporting you, that he is undergirding you. Y'all, all of us have been called to do a great work that is individually, but also collectively as a church. And my question is, how bought in are you? I can imagine as people saw just how hard this work was that Nehemiah was doing that they either didn't commit as much as they wanted or they were like us. I don't see it, Nehemiah. You go do that, but I don't see the work. And I can imagine that Nehemiah was at times discouraged that not all his friends or family were as bought in as he thought they would be or they didn't trust what he was trying to do or they didn't believe what the Lord had called them to do. Probably looked radical. And they listened as lies were told about him and they're even questioning his own intentions. I can imagine it at times was discouraging. Disappointing where he Wanted to quit. But he walked by faith. And he had a faith that believed that I don't have the ability to see the way things will be. I can only see them as they are. But my faith and my trust in God for all of us, no matter what it is you think the Lord wants you to do, is trusting ahead. So, you know, I love this. Uh, y'all are here about this tornado till Jesus comes back. Every, every opportunity, I, I look back and I reflect and I think about the moments where I was like, this is it. 
I thought the Lord called me to do this, and, and we, first anniversary, we are in a pandemic. We had a pandemic since the 20s. This is it. It's done. It's over. Tornado is done. It's over. And you learn. I ain't got nothing but trust in God. Even if you don't have the resources, if you don't have the tools, the skills, if you don't even know where the starting place is, let me just tell you, we walk by faith. And we walk in faith. And faith is taking a next step even when you can't see the staircase. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't quit. Let's pray. Lord, it is hard sometimes. Consistency, God, is hard. Lord, every single one of us in this room is going to wrestle with and struggle with disappointment. We're going to have expectations of ourselves. We're going to have expectations of other people that just don't get met. And our natural position, God, may be to run away in fear. It may be to run back to that space and that place of safety, that place of comfort. But God, if you have called us to do whatever you've called us to do, then we trust that you will strengthen and empower us for the work that you've called us to do. God, whether it is being a mother or a father, a husband or a wife or a creator or an artist or a co-worker, a friend, a daughter, a son, a sister or a brother, God, at times we might want to quit. God, at times it might get hard. But we trust you. And I'm reminded, God, there are so many people. As I even I imagine standing here today in this pulpit, preaching in this church, knowing this building itself, God, was built by hands that I can no longer see. People who may no longer live. But brick by brick, they built this edifice, God, by which you have called us to come lead and shepherd people in the gospel. God, those builders may not ever hear the gospel that I preach, but they built the building in which I come and preach it. And Lord, all I ask is that you give me that same faith. God, that you give every single one of us that same faith that I might just be laying the brick. I might just be putting the foundation in. But I know afar off that, Lord, you will complete this work. And that even when I'm discouraged, even when I feel despondent, that I will not stop for anything. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.